0: Welcome, welcome, welcome. We're here with Michael Moore and Al. So Al, can oh, you talk about your profession, maybe a little bit about your background and then who you are?
1: What I'm doing currently. So I'm a resident in orthotics and prosthetics. I currently work in a clinic in Fountain Valley or Orange. I'm finishing up my prosthetics residency. I went to school with a professor here, Michael Moore. Um, <laughs> here's my inspiration for getting me into the school. Actually, you were the first, yeah, you were actually the first professor I met. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, when you were and, trying to get into the school. Right. When I went to, when I had my workshop, right? Yeah. And we had similar backgrounds in that his family was in the mission field. And I really connected with that. And I was like, okay, maybe this field is something that I really want to get into get to know this this guy a little bit more, get some, some wisdom out of him, and then. Uh, while I was in school I went to Ethiopia with, with more and a few of my classmates and Tavita, you went a year before me. So <laughs> yeah. there's a there's some connections here and there, you yeah. know. I mean <laughs> that's that's, me that's really awesome.
0: And then uh, just yeah. a little bit about just for the listeners also just coming in. Um that's your connection with Michael Moore and then your connection with missions. Can you give me a little bit of, on that?
1: Um, So I was born and raised in a medical missionary field. My parents, well, my dad was the uh, general surgeon of the hospital in the Philippines, while my mom was the president of the hospital. Um, So we were assigned to the Philippines for almost all my childhood years. And then we were assigned to Ethiopia, where my dad was going to be the relief surgeon there. But complications with the politics and everything like that while we were in america vacationing to go to ethiopia uh, we kind of got stuck here so um basically my whole childhood was in the mission field so uh grew up you know doing little short mission trips with my my family my parents the hospital just teaching about the healthcare and um uh, teaching them like a healthier lifestyle things like that and using the the medical um, as the right hand of the gospel as they say mm-hmm. to you know make people's lives better and helping each other out making them more and more efficient in their community and things like that making a connection mm. with the with the hospital and the community and and the people in in america since my parents had a connection with some of our contacts in loma linda don't know really who they were but um I think one of them was the traveling doctor. Oh, wow. Do you remember Mark Moore? Um, They call him the flying doctor. Um, No, I don't remember. He was also, yeah. he, Yeah, he would fly all over the world and did mission work. So I think that was another inspiration. I just remember just now. I was like, oh, yeah, the flying doctor. I think his name is Dr. Clark. I remember his daughter was in Santa Barbara where I did my undergrad and I played orchestra and she played the violin with me and... Oh, that's
0: Jeez. really awesome. Yeah. And I remember your parents, parents would talk about him. Oh, but, uh, yeah, that's amazing. And then I know uh, we've already discussed Michael Moore's background and a little bit about that as well. And you were talking, I mean, the thing, the most important thing I think I was talking about also is your connection to the community and also the connection to the hospital and people and then helping it, making it so that it made people's lives better because that connection is very important. And I know Michael Moore, you were talking a little bit about um, was it Haiti? You're trying to make that connection as well. You're trying to do um the clinic, um, also the hospital. Um, can you tell me a little bit about that?
2: About the Haiti the Haiti clinic that we yeah. started?
0: Yeah. Which which one actually which one of the mission programs, since we've talked a little bit about missions in the past, which one of those missions Um, would you like to talk about most? I mean, right now, Haiti, Mexico,
2: or um,
0: (laughs) Ethiopia? (laughs) Ethiopia. Well, you know,
2: I was thinking, since we have all three of us here who've gone to Ethiopia, that might be an interesting thing to talk about. Okay. Especially since uh, there's challenges there right now. Michele Hmm. was just bombed by the government. Whoa. Did you guys know that?
1: I didn't know know that. that.
2: So, the, yeah, there, there's been a huge upheaval there. And so, you know, all this, remember how we went to, uh, how we went over, were you in that? No, that was a year after you guys, where we went and tried to raise money and we saw the new prime minister and we went to his talk here in LA and we were raising money for our trip. And uh, that, that happened the last year I went. And uh, so... It was after that after he became prime minister everything got better he got the nobel peace prize for having uh, uh making peace with eritrea wow. which i which i learned that the all the alumni all the, not the alumni but the uh the veterans that we worked with in michele mm-hmm. had fought on the eritrean side uh. because they're all tigranian so it's that group that was upset with being left out of the government. And so they are in kind of a revolt against the government right now. And oh, wow. just in the last two days, they they bombed up and took over Michele.
0: Oh, can you – that was a lot. Um, can you t- – <laughs> you said you said like a bunch of countries and then you just kind of went over it like, oh, yeah, now they're mad. Can you uh, go into that a little bit? So and that way I'm – maybe the listeners are not confused, but I'm confused.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so tell me what you confused about. Well, I'm so confused
0: can... about like those areas and those people and what are the relations to them? Like who fought who and for what reason – you know, just so, a little bit.
2: So so you knew that while we were there, uh, the people that we were working with, the prosthetist orthotist we were working with had been trained by the International Red Cross, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. And that's because they had gone through a civil war. And what had happened is Eritrea broke off from Ethiopia. And Eritrea is the country that's just north of Ethiopia now. And those, the, they're from the Tigranian Tigray region, the Tigranian tribe. And those two, that that tribe was split up. So part of them were in Mikele in Northern Ethiopia and the others were on the other side of the border in Eritrea. And they couldn't even talk to each other by phone. That's how bad the relations were. But when Mm -hmm. this new prime minister came, he made peace with, with Eritrea. And so people were able to talk with each other and those kind of things. But then two years, three years later, the whole place blew up because yeah because, because of what? what i said because mm-hmm. because the tigranian were being left out the leadership in Tigray were being left out of the of, of the government uh, so they were upset because they had always been involved in the government before that wow. that's my understanding of mm-hmm. it wow
0: that's amazing and so you're talking about that and then you were talking about the clinic that we were going to, and then those people and individuals. What is the importance of um, that clinic in particular?
2: So that clinic was a veterans clinic, a clinic for veterans of that war that we talked about that happened twenty years ago now. Uh, um, and they had, you know, they were amput they had they were ampute- they had amputations because of it, and so it, it was primarily uh, there to help those veterans. Um, to be able to, you know, help them be able to be functional. Yeah. And so the, the International Red Cross came in there and tra- trained everybody. Ah. And then we de- we realized, we found out after the last time I was there, that the because they were no longer at war, mm-hmm. the International Red Cross backed out of the country, and it left the practitioners who were there trying to figure out how they're going to do this on their own without getting any money or the government's not paying for them and all that. So that that's why they were always asking us to bring stuff. Uh, They wanted us to bring stuff because they had no source of anything.
0: uh, And I think you were talking even about, um, I mean, we're going to get into the plastics and stuff like that, that you're, you've been working on and things of that nature. But, um, can you tell me a little bit about this red cross, um, I mean, I know you you were able to, like, uh, what is what did the Red Cross bring to these people, like in the clinic?
2: So they they have a whole system. The International Red Cross has a whole system for prosthetics. That's all polypropylene plastic, which mm. is an easy plastic to work with. So they make they have these parts that are made out of this plastic that they get from from Switzerland, and they distributed all over the world. So you can go to Haiti and you can find the same parts. You can go to Nicaragua, find the same parts. You can go to Asia and find the same parts if there was a if it was an International Red Cross Center. Wow. And so all of Ethiopia was using that system. Ah. They, you know, when we went the first time, the first two times we went, they were wanting us to teach them how to use our components and made them with their components so they could have better feet and better knees and things like that. But they liked their polypropylene system. Mm. So that's why we were going there to teach them how to do, do different things.
0: Oh, I see. So you're, the Polypro system, I mean, Al, you saw it, right? Um, yeah. What did you yeah. think
1: about it, the system? Um, I mean, they seem like they've you know, been almost pretty mastered the, the system so the patients that we saw, or the veterans, uh, the people with amputees or amputations, they would actually have to travel far to go to the clinic, and then they would have to stay in the dormitory um, because they had to, we had to cast, modify, fabricate, do everything while they were there, because they can't travel back and forth like how we normally would here mm-hmm. in America or in Europe. So, I mean, they had their system down and, um, when I went with my, with, the uh, with my team, then we, you know, we were prayered up with one of the clinicians there. And mm-hmm. then, so they would cast and then they pulled the plastic and then that's when we would, instead of using their the polypropylene pylon, we would use the aluminum pylon and then attach the the foot. So we had to like fuse it together. Like, ah. so we had to use both, both our heads and combine our knowledge And then, so what I was doing was that um, since they, since I was only, it was my third year in school, well, the clinician I was working with, she's, you know, years of experience ahead of me. So all I had to do was kind of show her, well, she she would tell me how she would want the patient to be positioned. Yeah. And then my goal, okay, so in order for you to achieve that, and then you would modify it this way, Mm. bolt it in here, take it out here. And then, yeah, so.
0: Oh, that's, that's pretty incredible. We'll have pictures. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I'm sure that everybody that was listening uh, is a little bit confused, but there's going to be pictures, going to be a link to a YouTube video, which then we'll have the images there in order for it to describe to you um, in a way that you guys can probably follow a little bit better too. Yeah. Um, and then what when, when you're talking about the systems and integrating the systems, I think that's pretty remarkable that you were able to even do that, you know, especially since it's, um, polypropylene and what was that aluminum pylons and uh, carbon fiber feet or something like that well what were you mm-hmm. connecting the whole thing to?
1: yeah, carbon fiber feet
0: oh nice and the sockets were the same how how are the sockets attached to
1: the patient? Did we have liners for them or do we use liners, no, we had oh, no we, liners. oh yeah that's, liners, right. that's right that's right so it was just. Yeah, they used just...
2: they use straps.
1: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, they did. Or um, a super
2: condylar suspension with a p light liner. Yeah, a, a padded liner that that held over the the condyles, the 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 bony knee part mm. that it would they would be able to hold it oh, on. Oh that yeah, way. that's right.
1: Yeah, I remember now. Some of them would cut up their pajamas and tie it up the end and use that as kind of like a an interface or something to protect their skin in the socket, and then. That's they would just use Straps at, or like, you know, they apply more socks or or pajamas to create more friction and fill up the volume to suspend. Yeah, they're wow. pretty creative out <laughs> yeah, there. Yeah. I, I was there. <laughs>
0: yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. That is amazing. I mean, I hope that. I have some pictures that Mr. Moore is gonna send me, or maybe a video of a leg, <laughs> and hopefully, I, have I already. Some, I have some videos. We have some, some videos. Metric, of, yeah. There's oh, perfect. Of that will yeah. be on this video right now. <laughs> Should be playing right now. <laughs> right, right, right. Okay, that's excellent. And then, Mr. Moore, you're. Now we're talking about the need and the reasons why we need to go. There was war. There's lots of amputation. There's a clinic out there trying to help. We have the Red Cross. Um, I was talking about how they integrated a lot of the Red Cross stuff into, like, some modern stuff, like the the Pylon and all these other cool American tools as well. So – now we're talking about all of that and how awesome that is. Okay, so how are we going to get to the next step, which is making it you know, self-sufficient? You were talking about self-sufficiency and allowing the clinic to, I don't know, to be able to work on its own, maybe through recycled plastic or something, and then um, how we get feed out there. Um, also, how are you going to get the materials to that place? You know, there's all these questions. Um, I guess the listeners would be You know, thinking about well, then what? What is my? What am I responsible for? Or maybe a prosthetist or orthotist is sitting there listening to it and saying, "Well, then, how am I going to get involved? Um, How do we send materials out there? Um, What are the next steps after I understand what's been going on?"
2: So you guys have both of you had the rehab care in developing nations class, and one of the things that's very important. In developing nations is a sustainable system, Mm. a sustainable practice. And, you know, is it sustainable to just send our our used parts that we're not using? Is it sustainable for a whole country? Probably not. And so, I mean, they're 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 wishing for whatever they can get. So they want us to bring them everything we can. But that only provides what? 50 legs and they have a thousand a year. So you know it, we're not really providing it for them. So one of the things I think you guys noticed when you were there, and we I, we noticed it out at the Cheshire Clinic, and, and at Michele they they all had an oven and they had a recycle injection molding machine mm-hmm. for making crutches. You remember that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, it's right there. It's right know. there. Yeah. <laughs> so so. But that's all they're using it for. They're only making crutches, the crutch handles and the crutch tips. So we were thinking, why can't we recycle the plastic that they're, you know, instead of making just those parts, why not make the other parts that they already have? And that has not been provided them by the International Red Cross. And and now that the International Red Cross isn't even there, they have to buy stuff from the International Red Cross to get the stuff into the country. So if mm. if if we were able to provide them with molds for the different parts that they need, they already have the injection molder there to make the parts. Oh wow! So so that's that's the that's what we've been doing in the last two years here at Loma Linda, is we're first of all we're right. We just turned the, inf- the uh, all of our information. We just got it back from the testing of the strength of the recycled plastic. Mm-hmm. We recycled it five times and we, we're just getting it analyzed right now to know how strong it is. Um, but we're thinking that we can take the plastic. They can take their plastic. And if you remember back behind Michele, they had whole piles of, res- of old devices that were just piled there. Nobody was using. They could grind those up and remelt them and 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 make stuff out of them. Oh wow. And then we we discovered this year one of our students for her $20 project made a sheet of polypropylene plastic in the oven out of ground up polypropylene and she made a socket for a trans for below the knee APT oh, cool. and I tried to stomp on it and it couldn't break.
0: Oh great. So
2: so it's like oh we even have a way of making sheets if we needed to. So besides making the components the pylon, the foot, the different parts, we can actually make a sheet that they can pull as well mm, wow. to augment whatever they buy.
0: Mm, that's actually really amazing. I mean, that's going to be a big game changer, especially if, what type of plastics were sheet, like plastic bottles, is that what you were saying? Plastic bottles, well, bottle we're caps? using
2: the old, the old parts. So if you, you, you know, when, when you make a, a brace or even a prosthet- prosthetic socket, you throw away a third to half of that plastic yeah if you save that plastic and throw it into a bucket of water so it stays clean you can grind that up and remelt it and make things out of it
0: is it the the same plastic that they have in ethiopia or you're you're mentioning it more so saying the plastic from practitioners here like the polypropylene here in the united states being melted no, we're, down?
2: we're saying because they they're making everything out of polypropylene right now. They mm. have sheet plastic that they have coming in, mm. but it, but but half of it or a third of it is being thrown away. Ah. So, so rather than being wasteful, let's save it and use it for the components that they need to make, or for sockets, to, or for you know braces, yeah. the, the plastic to make the brace.
0: Can you talk a little bit about? Because um, I'm I'm sure. To make the braces and to make all of these components and things, I think the most difficult thing people don't understand is, well, yeah, we have prosthetic legs here. Can you talk a little bit about um, maybe the wastefulness of how we deal with medical equipment here and then how we might be able to help a little bit out there? Go, (laughs) Al. Sorry, repeat the question, how we can what? (laughs) Um, how, um, How wasteful we are. Uh, here in the united states when it comes down to medical equipment such as prosthetic knees feet pylons and things of that nature and maybe some of the laws behind that and then how can we
1: use that in order to augment maybe their needs yeah i mean even just getting back in school like we waste so much of just like the plastic like you know when you like let's say you're fabricating a a brace for the Mm -hmm. foot and ankle you're supposed to measure you know the circumference and all that but People usually will measure longer than they tend to, because they're you know they don't want to mess it up. Yeah. So that like in before you are even pulling, you're already like overestimating how much you need, and then you just so when you you know when you're fabricating thing, you cut it out, throw in the trash because it can't be used anymore. Mm-hmm. Well, at least yeah, when we were there, and in, in clinic, like people are pulling out plastic just from braces alone, um, and for prosthetics side, you have these test sockets that you have to try on patients and we're just literally using it just to test and they're not even like taking that home so once we're done with it we throw it away and so that's a lot of materials and that's just plastic we're not even talking about like all the other materials that we're wasting
2: my understanding is if you're making for somebody who's homeless and you provide it to them and you use used components if they're good that's not illegal to do you just can't build them for it you can't oh i see you can't have them build their
1: insurance yeah Oh, okay
0: so when it comes down I, i'm just going to go back into ethiopia because you're saying well that might be a good entry point for some people around the world right they can get these used componentry, such as pylons, maybe even weld them together, you know, um, or maybe reuse use feet or whatever it is, sending it over. But um, isn't there an issue of um, shipping? Someone yeah, that's, shipping a, that's a big and, deal. Yeah, shipping and then sending it and then the weight and stuff of that of that nature. Of course, that's going to be a big hassle. Um, so when you're talking about recycled plastics and things of that nature – Um, you can reuse some of the plastics to make componentry um, such as feet
2: within the country, within Within the the country.
0: country. And the reason why that's a big deal is
2: they can be self-sufficient, self-sustaining. They can certainly be more Mm -hmm. self-sustaining. If you know the plastic of the bottles that are there, if you know you have polypropylene and you and you gather polypropylene, you can melt down any polypropylene and use it if you want. Mm. So that's where they could use their trash to make things. Now, oh. what I learned from Haiti, they, they sent me three boxes of recycled plastic that they ground up, and they said it was polypropylene. Yeah. And we discovered it wasn't polypropylene, so the people who gather oh, no. need to know what they're gathering. <laughs> yeah. I
0: mean, like the bottle... The bottle itself is like the see-through, and then the cap is this colored, but those two plastics are totally different, right? Yes. And so if you were to use, let's say we're doing recycled plastic, we might just want to use a bottle cap plastic and not the bottle
2: itself. Except it's high-density polyethylene.
0: High-density polyethylene. So the cap would be softer. It's um, actually,
2: well, it's a harder. high density, so it's high, hard. It's hard. more rigid than Polypro. Uh-huh. doesn't pull as nice and it's not as durable, so that's not a, uh. a optimal. But some of the other bottles that they have, the water bottles are not, maybe they could make check sockets out of it, mm-hmm. but but not the, that you would have to get other polypropylene bottles or other things that are made out of polypropylene.
0: Hmm, I see. Uh, and when it comes down to, bottles and things of that nature. What does Ethiopia have? I remember we were talking last time a little bit about it'd be nice if they had their own type of casting material. Um can you just walk me through um walk me through how a patient's seen in Ethiopia. Al, you can talk about it too, because you've both seen patients there. Uh walk me through the appointments um at least from start to finish. So they go in There's a couple of steps that needs to happen in order for it to be possible. Then a couple more steps need to happen in order for that to be possible. And then just walk me through because what I'm what at least I'm trying to get to is I want to see at what points would it be because we're trying to make it so that our dollar goes the furthest it possibly can. Right. So if we can see gaps inside of maybe the appointments or whatever it is, maybe materials or whatever it is, we can actually donate specifically to what they need, such as maybe they need plastic or casting material, or whatever it is. Okay, my camera died, and I'll get the thing. So go ahead and answer.
2: You see the patient with the physical therapist or with somebody else mm-hmm. or on your own, and you decide what type of device they should have or if they need a device, and you start the casting procedure, and you take measurements, and you you use plaster Wrap. So this is something that you could donate. Would be the the cloth, the fabric that has plaster embedded in it. So when you get wet, you can wrap it on their limb, and you can make make a a a a model of their residuum. Um, and that's the first step. Um, you, you well the first step is you do the assessment, and the second step is you cast and start the process, and then you start the fabrication of the device.
1: You can go on, L. You can keep going. <laughs> <laughs> I'll talk about the um, how the society views them. I think it, okay, okay. Yeah. So so then um,
2: you take that cast and you go back in the back and you fill it with plaster of Paris, put a pipe in it, and you you do what's called modifying. You you have to make sure that that the weight can be taken in, in weight tolerant areas and that you you like soft tissue areas, but on the bony prominences, you have to relieve those areas so that that's not painful. So you, you go through that modification process. And once that mold has been modified, and that's a positive model now of their residuum. You you uh, you're then ready to pull the socket. Now here we would pull a check socket, which is a clear one that mm-hmm. we can check and make sure everything fits right there. They kind of skip that step they've they've gotten really good at what they do. Um, This is where I could I would like to put in one of the things we taught in the last two trips was the aqua casting technique which is using a a tank of water to get full impression full full pressure on the residuum when they stand on it when you're casting um, because they find that with that technique no matter what your skills are 70 percent of the time you don't need to make any modifications to the mold so it can save them quite a bit of time because they can most everybody can make a cast that fits properly and we had one of our one of our student groups who did a a a test of that and and in their research project here at loma linda they they did a test and had A student who'd not learned it ever they had a pt a couple pt students do it they had a resident do it and they had a cpo do it Uh and they all made one socket they made no modifications to it and then they assessed the fit and it was the same patients and Mm -hmm. they couldn't really tell that much difference yes the prosthetist knew a little bit more but basically it's just how they wrapped the plaster was the only difference that they did Everything else was the same because it was all under pressure. So um, that saves some time. And that, again, we're going over there to teach them new techniques that can help them. And that's one of the ones we did. Mm. Um, So I kind of got sidetracked there. So you go ahead and you make the socket. So this is where you take a sheet of polypropylene and you pull it over the mold. Mm -hmm. And then you can fit that to the patient. Usually Mm -hmm. they went ahead and added uh, the foot, and the knee, if they're above the knee amputee, and then they were fit on it, and then you can use the components that are there to align it, to make it optimal for for walking.
1: Mm, that's actually really amazing. Most of these people don't have the luxury of, of having a three D printed hand or a prosthetic hand, um, or just even just a physical disability, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when we were in the clinic, there was actually like a was it an orphanage that uh, the the kids with disabilities were were staying in um we I saw know.
2: we went to an orphanage that had yeah. a kid that had had a diff yeah yeah right was a, yeah
1: and so a lot of these kids um i i do photography on the side so I, I brought my camera and a printer and um you know as as a photographer you want to portray you know their best their best side of them or their how you how you view them um in their, uh, you know, op- optimally or, you know, you wanna bring out their beauty essentially. And so I, I try to do that to pictures and then I, I would show them their, I, I had an instant printer. So I would show them pictures of themselves and they were so happy. they were like, we. they didn't speak English. I didn't speak the native tongue but we were able to communicate that through, through just through art and through photography. And it's just, you know, even though they're, viewed as lesser in, in their society because of their physical disabilities but they have inner beauty. everyone has inner beauty and yeah. um, as as processes that's that's essentially what we we are trying to do is we are trying to um to uh, you know bring bring that back mm-hmm. uh, making them whole again and um and so it just goes beyond just you know the physical healing aspect of it. It's yeah. like, you know, enough, we're trained to whole person care. So, you know, we just, we go beyond just treating them and fitting them with a the leg and making it look nice. Yeah. And we're also reinstating their, their value, mm-hmm. essentially. Yeah.
0: When it comes down to value, especially when they come, uh, patients internationally, um, especially when it prosthetics, as you were saying, um, I think it makes a bigger impact if you're a farmer, or what as you were saying, you know, you're active and um, emotionally it impacts you. And I remember we were making a bunch of like foot shells and like leg fillers and stuff like that because they had this big, huge thing against, you know, having, um, being able to see a pylon. Like, there's no way they're going to, you know, and I think you're absolutely right. Um, that is whole care. Uh, person care Um, aesthetics is so important because as people say well we value the person or the worker or whatever it is well society hasn't agreed yet especially Mm -hmm. in those Mm -hmm. third third world countries because that's a curse here in the united states we're like oh a wheelchair yeah but if you have gravel roads you know prosthetic (laughs) leg is the only way or you're going to be crawling And I know I've seen people in Ethiopia that were just crawling on all fours to get from place to place. Because wheelchairs, that's not an option. It is better for you to maybe just amputate your legs and just walk with your arms than it would be for you to have dangling legs that you're now responsible to going up hills on a wheelchair Uh, which is impossible. And I was on with just my shoes and my legs and my legs hurt and gravel road. I twisted my ankle a bunch of times, you know? And then I'm just saying, that's just me being lazy. I mean, being me. (laughs) But (laughs) I mean, obviously they would have these big, big, huge hurdles to overcome. Like you were saying, Al, Um, you know, society accepting them and then also being able to provide it. And just talking about this whole Patient interaction, you know, when you begin you see the patient and then you have all these steps and all these materials that you have to use and now being able to provide at least a a way of using recycled recycled plastic, you know, like super recycled plastic in order to allow less waste maybe even getting 3D printing out there, like I was saying, and being able to make an aesthetic hand or something that will provide them at least the ability to enter into society, you know, at all.
1: I actually have some show and tell since. Oh, good. (laughs) When Um, I was in school, we learned 3D printing design. So this is one of the hands that I 3D printed. This is a Mayo electric. uh, The good thing about 3D printing is it's open source. So. You can modify it you can print it yourself at home and stuff like that so oh that's really awesome design hey, uh, like
0: lift it up like, <laughs> that's pretty cool yeah
1: is that for a patient it is not i made one for a, a patient um, while i was in school but this one uh this one is just for fun i wanted to to print this and see how it would work um i haven't attached the um my yeah or i mean the I haven't programmed it yet, but all the electronics and everything is in here. It works, um, so I just need to attach. I just need to program it so I can do things like that. That is and awesome. And another thing that I've been working on, speaking of cost uses, is a 3D-printed uh, uh, cover. Mm-hmm. So, um, oh yeah, the, for, the, this for the plastic is really cheap, like $20 mm-hmm. for, for a pound. You can pump out a lot of these, and 3D-printing is cheaper now so if they had a 3D printer there you could just teach somebody how to make covers for them and oh that's re- awesome you probably you can use recycled uh, plastic too if you use this that's, as a that's filament. incredible for those that are listening
0: yeah. he was showing if you ever seen iRobot um there's like the, the hand from iRobot it's pretty much an identical looking really cool retro uh, prosthetic hand um it has a little opening um for maybe an amputated hand or a. Uh, the arm to fit in a little bit, and there's mechanics inside as well. It's white and black. It looks really cool. He was showing um, a three D printed shell, which is like a typical shell. So if you if you look at your leg right now, look at your leg right now. Uh, it kind of it, it. He wants it like to make this. it. Yeah, there you go. It was like a it's pylon with a foot. He's pylon. showing right now.
1: Yeah. And, uh, so when you're wearing fork. this with a leg or with a pants, then it looks funky because there's nothing to keep your pants. You know, it's not known to fill it. So mm-hmm. it. Then if you had this on, then it. You know, it feels. Like yeah, and sweet. what he
0: said is he he slid over on top of it a three D printed like, leg, like, tibia, which is the lower leg, right in the front. And then there's, like, a honeycomb shape uh, around it, and it looks really retro and really, really cool. And he's,
1: trend now, retro.
0: Yeah, the retro and the pylon that he's using and the foot. So the pylon is blue, and then the foot's this carbon fiber foot. Um, obvi- There will be a foot shell over that if he can, or if we can put it there. But, I mean, it looks really, really awesome, really, really retro, really cool. But there are some... Are there some, as you would say, um, holdbacks or is something wrong with 3D printing as of right now or is 3D printing the way to go right now when it comes down to medical equipment, Al?
1: As far as, well, it has its, yeah, drawbacks. For uh, One, if, you know, the integrity of it, you know, it's pretty brittle compared mm-hmm. to an actual polypropylene socket. So it's not going to be designed to, be used as a replacement for a socket. Although, I think one one company in Ethiopia or in Ohio has kind of mastered, but it's it's a, they've mastered the 3D printing the way it's extruded. Mm-hmm. But it has its, you know, um, so as far as Cosmesis goes, you can definitely use 3D printing for uh, a cover. It's, mm. um, I mean, it looks amazing. <laughs> it looks awesome. And you can change the color. You can put all designs on it put your name or whatever, some memory verse. I
0: mean, that's going to be really cool. Some quote. Yeah. We'll put the, we'll put all the links so you guys can look at all the stuff when you're not driving or working out or whatever it is for later. Um, And then um, I know we, we've been going on for a little bit and I think that that's actually really, really cool. I just wish you guys could watch the YouTube video and that way you can see it because it's cooler than the way I'm describing it, obviously. And um. I just want to have a couple more points from uh so the 3d printing and now we're just talking about how is how can we um as individuals maybe as orthosis prostitutes help out uh in ethiopia because we were talking mainly about ethiopia um but also um i know you're an educator uh you're a teacher and uh you did talk about how the the casting and those things are super important Um, because you're trying to lower the barrier to entry when it comes down to being able to cast at a high level um, being able to be as accurate as possible quickly because you're obviously seeing a lot of patients you want to make sure the plastic's not wasted Um, and so for you uh, let's just talk a little bit about what are some things that you know, Al and I went on mission trips. We went out there, we, we did some educating, maybe a couple cool things that we've gleaned from there and brought it back home. But for you, uh, Mr. Moore, what, what do you think um, the listeners um, can do to help, support, or um, maybe something interesting that you've learned through this process?
2: So if we're talking about other prosthetists, orthotists, We could put them in touch with our guide, who her whole, her whole business is bringing in experts in different fields to come and help people in Ethiopia. So you get to take a a purposeful vacation. Mm -hmm. You get to go and do and teach somebody while you're there, and then you get to see some good sites and stuff. Um, So that's, that's something that a prosthetist, orthotist, or any other profession could do you know, be in touch with her and be able to help that. Um, you could always collect components to be used in Ethiopia or anywhere. Um, any of the, any of the parts that you have left over, don't throw them away. They can be used. Um, so, so that would be another thing that you could do. How would
0: we be able to send it? Um, how would we know where to send it or where to put it? Or if, if I put a bunch of the components in a box, where do I ship it to?
2: Um, right now, you would send it to us and Loma Linda, but like you had mentioned to me, when I have <laughs> a, we're going to be overwhelmed really quickly. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but, you will. But, but you know, we're, we're kind of a, a staging ground for it.
0: Okay. So if you so have components right now, just please hold them. I'll hold them in your facility. Uh, when we have an update later on in the podcast, uh, we'll put um, an address for where you can ship them later.
2: Yeah, so shipping helps us out too so if you ship them to us we'll get them to we'll get them there Mm. wherever they're going now right now we are we're focusing more on haiti because we have a clinic there that needs our stuff so yeah that's probably where it would go right now or to our mexico trip Mm -hmm. when that starts up again but um so what about other people that that are you know uh, how mm -hmm. can you help out for that well you know sending uh monetary help Mm -hmm. can be helpful to, to you know, it's not cheap to go. It's for us to take students to Ethiopia, or almost four thousand dollars per student. Yeah, that's a lot. And they and they they cover two thousand of that, but you still have to raise the rest of the money. Um, and the same for any of the trips. You know, there is an expense that goes with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, the equipment, getting the equipment there. That's that that's something that's that's very important as well. Mm. Um, what other things could they do? We have, we have any other ideas?
0: Well. I just think, um, keep people in your mind. I think, um, whether, uh, prayers or whether thoughts, whatever it is that you believe in and whatever it is, um, just keep, keep it going. I mean, we are technically right now in like a businessy type of world and the podcast is under business, <laughs> um, and so another way, not only monetary, but liking and subscribing, <laughs> making sure you get some of our notifications uh, about the show and about what we're doing. Um, this is also what he was talking about. It's also a business. So supporting the community in Ethiopia, you know, giving is really, really good. Uh, but maybe donate to the clinic themselves, you know, um, and instead of trying to just give them a bunch of free stuff. Um You know, and that way you can support the clinic and allow the clinic to be, you know, donated to and given to. Or maybe uh, talk to Mr. Moore and see what it is exactly that uh, he needs help with. Uh, Michael Moore uh, running schools and all this other stuff is also very expensive. Um, And that way your donated dollar can go to something important. Or even Fevin. Fevin's a great individual. We'll talk about her later. But she does amazing stuff as well. But if you donate to certain people like Moore or Fevin or maybe a school or the clinic specifically, I feel like you would be able to get more done uh, and it will go a lot further. Um, that's kind of what I'm thinking. And also visit. If you don't, if you don't know the area, visit the area. It's great to have adventures, you know, even if you're not really doing a mission trip, but you're just trying to scope out, visit, you're, you're providing, you're providing that entire community with at least, you know, your, your money or whatever it is, but also you get to experience it. Um, And if you have any, if you want to experience it and you have no medical background at all, um, just try to contact Michael Moore or Fevin and they can direct you in a way that um, may be able to use your special gift. If you have a gift of voice, if you have a gift of whatever it is, I'm sure that we'd be able to use it, or you'd be able to use it in a way that both benefited you and also the community community in Ethiopia and or locally.
1: Um, Al, anything? Any thoughts? Uh, no, yeah, I think visiting would be... Pretty impactful like when I was growing up as a kid a missionary you know we were kind of in a very remote island and so we were kind of shut up from the world so I mean I was as a young kids so I probably didn't really feel as secluded or isolated but um, it's not easy as a family um, you know because we have missionaries out there right now um, not just prosthetics but doctors and things like that it's not it's not easy to be a missionary um, especially in a remote a country or a remote area and so you know just if you're visiting or if you're just you know making connections building a network it, it means it can go a long way for that family um i mean of course you know money money is important or financial support but emotional and and social support goes goes a really long way because one thing you know for long long-term missionaries one thing that um it's pretty prevalent is is being burned out You know, and you can see it in in the workplace or any just type of community service type of uh, organizations. But it's, I think, especially more if you're in a, if you're so far from from home, um, you experience burning out when, you know, when you feel like you're just alone and no one's, you're trying to do good for the world and for Mm -hmm. the local community, but you don't have, it feels like you don't have that support. And I think there's a lot of awesome people out there and, you know, through this, hopefully through this podcast, through this, you know, through social media, we can, you know, build that network and build that support group. And we could, mm-hmm. if you can't physically be there, just, you know, sending some encouraging words and letting them know that, that they matter mm-hmm. and that um, what they're doing is, is, is amazing and that they're amazing people. Mm-hmm. So, and I think you
0: yeah. hit. That was exactly what I'm sure a lot of people need to value. I think, right. Monetary money, thoughts, ideas, all the stuff is just to promote value of those that are out there serving. Um, People need Mm -hmm. to know that they're valued, um, especially when they're doing value. Yeah. yeah, Intrinsic value, like you were saying. Um, And just to know that you're important when you're out there and I just want, yeah. And that, that's amazing. I think that's awesome. More. Do you have any other thoughts on, um, Anything else you'd like to add? (laughs) Anything? (laughs) It's okay.
2: (laughs) What am I going to say? No, I think I agree with everything that Al said. Um, You know, I was born in another country as a missionary, and I know we talked about that before. But, Mm -hmm. but, um, and that was a huge impactful experience for me and that's why I'm involved in it now so if you're able to go and learn and and support these people that is very important um you know even even getting involved if you just get involved locally with stuff Mm -hmm. that will get you into the spirit of it and then you can expand it to other things you know international type trips
0: I mean I mean that's what you're doing and that's what Dal's doing. And that's what um, I pretend to I mean, <laughs> we, we're all... <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, but we're all working our way through it. And I just want to give a voice of encouragement. Whatever you're doing right now, whoever you are that's listening in, um, you're important. And uh, you have tons of gifts. And there are things that you can do that you don't even know that you can do yet. Um, you just got to challenge yourself by getting out there and going ahead and doing it. Um, I'm sure... Al, Moore, and I, we can all talk about stories of where we've been very uncomfortable, where we were unsure, and uh, (laughs) there's untapped potential. We just didn't realize that uh, it was there. And I think that's, that's the amazing part about missions. Just like an entrepreneur, if you're an entrepreneur out there listening in as well, it's the same thing. It's the same fear. It's the same. You're just unsure and scared, but you don't realize the opportunity. And that's what the most amazing part of missions, business, international business, and just traveling. Uh, but anyway, uh, I think that that's that's all, folks. Uh, well, we'll have another uh, hopefully another podcast next week, and then we'll post it on YouTube. And um, this is Michael Moore, and hopefully, we'll be able to put all the information and. Uh, Michael Moore will email me, uh, the donor, uh, the donor that, um, we would, if you wanted to donate, you'd be able to donate to this certain link that he'll give me, um, any images or any pictures YouTube, stuff like that will be also in the description below. I just want to thank you for your time. Thank you for joining us today. Do you have any closing thoughts?
2: Keep serving,
1: keep serving. And now, Oh, actually speaking of serving. So, um, this is, I got this quote from, uh, I think it's Gandhi, but I was, I was on call this week and I was just like so frustrated because it was so busy. And then I was, as I was walking down to the elevator of the hospital, I saw this, um, quote by quotation by Gandhi. And it says the best way to find yourself is to lose yourself in the service of others. And I think that's probably a good way to end here. Yeah. That's, I think I find true joy in service and, um, if only you guys can experience it too. It's yeah. It's awesome. It and is thanks awesome. for this. And this is awesome. part of you guys yeah. <laughs> I mean iron sharpens iron like like <laughs> we said before. And yeah. But this yeah, it's getting me fired up already. Oh, perfect. <laughs> so uh, tune in next
0: time when we will be talking a little bit more about uh, the next uh, mission trip. Hopefully we're going to be talking about Mexico, maybe a little bit about Haiti, and maybe even get another interview from somebody else as well. But Michael Moore, we're definitely thankful that you're here for this podcast today, and we're also thankful that uh, you're able to meet us on um zoom i was about to say linkedin but this is zoom and um hopefully uh this is good information and um thank you tune in next time all right have a good day get Al
2: in in here sometime too right
0: al is al is a part of this the whole time he's been here
2: (laughs) (laughs)
1: okay see
0: you later folks
2: all
1: right good night guys